You're listening to the ETF Exchange, presented by On The Money with Dynamic Funds. Join us as we dive into the latest trends and investment strategies to help you navigate the ever-evolving landscape of ETFs. Welcome to ETF Exchange, presented by On The Money with Dynamic Funds. This series will explore the world of exchange-traded funds, where we break down complex financial concepts into easy-to-understand discussions. Join us as we dive into the latest trends, investment strategies, and expert interviews to help you navigate the ever-evolving landscape of ETFs. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just getting started, our goal is to provide valuable insights to help you make informed decisions and grow your wealth. Subscribe now for a deep dive into the exciting world of ETFs. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the ETF Exchange. I'm your co-host, Alan Green, and this is, in fact, our first pod of 2024. So we wish our listeners and investors a happy, healthy, and prosperous 2024. And hello, everyone, and happy new year. I'm your other co-host, Peter Tomyuk. We're really excited about today's episode for a couple of reasons. First off, we're going to continue our discussion on ETF flows. You may remember the last episode, we gave a high-level breakdown of what we saw in the Canadian ETF industry in 2023. Now, this episode, we're going to look ahead to 2024 and provide a bit more of a global perspective. And secondly, and I'm extremely excited about this, we have a well-reputed guest south of the border joining us to help provide us some insights on this. And Alan, perhaps I'll pass it back over to you for this introduction to our audience. Peter, that's right. I'm also super excited by our guest today. We're joined by Eric Balchines, Senior ETF Analyst with Bloomberg Intelligence. Eric's been with Bloomberg for over 24 years and is a towering ETF voice and commentator. I would actually say ETF royalty. Eric and I first met in London well over a decade ago. He visited the iShares office. If I recall at the time, I was a recovering ETF trader, having just joined iShares from Citi. We had some great debates on ETF liquidity. Anyways, it's been awesome to watch Eric's rise and success and a pleasure to welcome him on. I would also check out Eric's Trillions ETF podcast and his books he's authored over the years. Well worth checking out. So welcome, Eric. Hey, great to be here, Alan, and good to talk to you again. We can't start today without acknowledging the biggest ETF story of the year and maybe in history of ETFs, which I know kept you sleepless a couple of weeks back, which is the approval and trading debut in the US of spot Bitcoin ETFs. So this is ETFs that hold Bitcoin directly. Now we actually had to reschedule this pod. It was originally scheduled to record on the day that Bitcoin ETFs began trading. So Eric, I know you followed this story and commentated on a great deal even covering the apparent accidental, or was it a hack or Twitter hack, uh, where the SEC announced they'd approved Bitcoin ETFs, which at the time they very much hadn't. We've also had fee wars before the launch, zero management fees, massive trading volumes, big swings in the price. So I'm hoping you can cut through a lot of that noise and let our listeners know kind of what happened and maybe where you see the crypto ETF market going. There's been a lot of uh, ground broken in the ETF world as usual. You know, I consider this industry the Silicon Valley of the investing world. It's where all the fish are biting. So all of the attempts to evolve products are here and attempts to ETFize different asset classes. So once a decade, ETFs get into a new asset class and Bitcoin is obviously unique because it's a digital asset and it itself is new. So this is like a 10 year process of like the filings and then denials. So it was an emotional roller coaster. The week that I had to bail was the approval week. In the first couple of days after they launched was really exciting because how much they're taking in, what's it look like? 
we're kind of on day eight, I think. So it's starting to calm down. I've gotten plenty of sleep since then. You know, this is normal for me to cover the flows and stuff. It's much more fun, to be honest. Not knowing exactly precisely if the SEC would definitely approve them, we had high odds. So we stuck our neck out. So that was a little bit stressful. But since then, it's been fun and a great experiment. You know, as you know, Alan, at iShares, they were first in a lot of areas. Like LQD was the first bond ETF. It didn't have like Vanguard or Schwab or anybody competing with it. So if you're first to market, you clean up for a while. And that's how it went with GLD and gold. Here, we have 11 launching on the same day and doing the same thing. And for an ETF nerd, this was like uh, Haley's Comet or something. This has never happened. This is why it took so much of my attention, even though it'll probably end up being 1% to 2% market share of all ETF assets. In fascination, it's you know a 10 out of 10. But I am starting to write about other stuff. I was looking at Uranium earlier this week. I did my Vanguard primer that I was due. I'm doing our survey results soon. So I'm already starting to sort of like diversify away, which is probably good for my health. You want to, you know, visit Planet Crypto, but I wouldn't want to make permanent residence there. And so I think I made it out with my mind intact. But I will say the flows are good. This is going to be a legit category. You're looking at, you know, top 1% flows and volume for new launches. So uh, I think this will be a viable area. And I'm not surprised ETFs make everything much easier. And they're going to do that for Bitcoin, and they are already. Do you have a target AUM, do you think, in mind by the end of the year or something like that? AUM is tricky because it includes the market appreciation or depreciation of the underlying assets. So the number I'll give you, though, I think that's probably has less variability as the flows. So we predicted 10 to 15 billion in actual flows. And flows are truth. Your assets can go up, and you can actually see customers leave. <laughs> Look at the mutual fund industry. Right. That's been yeah. happening for a decade. But... I think in flows, 10 to 15 billion would be a great first 12 months. Now, they're already at four, so they're well on their way. That said, you know, there was a lot of hype, a lot of marketing, a lot of pre-lined up investors. So if they were to reach 15 billion, I'd call it a, a great success for the first year. And this would be all nine of the new ones combined. But there's an interesting phenomenon where GBTC converted into an ETF and it charges a lot. And there was a lot of people stuck in there. And they're leaving regularly since it converted. So the nine new ones are having to absorb those outflows or offset them and try to get ahead. So it's an unusual situation. But those nine new ones, which I'll call the newborns, again, if they get anywhere near 15 billion, that'd be a great year. And they're probably headed there. I'd say where it's going to be close. And then that would put them asset-wise, you know, probably near 30 to 40 billion. But again, remember, they came over with 26 with GBTC. So that's why that number is a little whacked. So that's why I stick to flows. I think that's easier you know, to explain anything. So we'll take 10 to 15 billion in flows. Hi, Eric. I actually want to pivot a little bit. I want to touch on a general trend revolving around the active versus passive ETF discussion. I remember when I entered the ETF industry over a decade ago, the Canadian ETF industry was roughly one-tenth of the size it is today. And passive ETFs, represented well over 90% of industry AUM. Now, this has changed a lot, where non-passive ETFs are now roughly a third of the industry, and we see plenty of evidence that the rate of growth in full discretionary active ETFs have been accelerating. Do you notice a similar trend globally? Yeah, well, it's funny. Active was more accepted everywhere generally. It was in the U.S. where we went all passive for a while, and active was almost like a dirty word there for about 10 years. And then Smart Beta came out, which is sort of an 
indexed, but you tweak it to make it active, that was a boom. And I, I would consider that like an evolution of active. And that was a big success. People forget about smart beta. So discretionary active was sort of left out, but it's caught traction in the past year in the US. And I would say the US investors to me are probably the pickiest because mostly the advisors here are fee-based, which makes them just like extra cost-conscious shoppers. I think 2022, the 60 and the 40 were down. So kind of opened up people to some other alternatives. Second, I think you saw fees come down on active. You saw like DFA and Avantis and JP Morgan all offer sub 40 basis point active. And, you know, advisors are fee sensitive, so that helped. And then they put a lot of like solutions in active, like for example, Jeppy, which in the US broke all the records in terms of active success. It's an equity income premium, premium income, something like that. It basically writes call options. It gives you the premium of writing those, but you give up your upside. But a lot of boomers in America, I call these ETFs boomer candy, they're totally willing to give up some upside for some buffer on the downside and for income. So whether it's the buffer ETFs that target outcome or the premium income, that was a good chunk of the natural organic flows into active. And then the flows into like ones that are like DFA and Avantis, a lot of those were outflows from their mutual funds that just moved over to the active. So I would say that when you look at the numbers, they're all very positive, but there's a little more nuance. I think the idea of like the all foreseeing stock picker is a tough sell. I will say Kathy Wood did a good job owning that a little bit. And I think the secret to getting into that lane, I think, is to go high active share. So we look at beta adjusted fees. And so hers has like 99% active share. So you can get away with charging a little more because it's used in smaller doses in the portfolio. But if you want to be a core active fund, you now have to sort of compete with the free beta. You know, the beta is very cheap now. So I think active is sort of like saying, okay, let's pick a lane here. If we go into the core, we got to lower the fee or do something that provides a solution, like do some legwork here, cover calls, target outcomes, something. Or we go to the hot sauce lane and we just go wild and we can charge more. This is where thematics live and ARC and single stock ETFs. So we do see a renaissance in active, but it's a little more nuanced than just like the return of the Peter Lynch person. That idea of that really high cost manager that takes up the core of your portfolio in a mutual fund wrapper, I don't know if that's coming back. I think a lot of what you said there maybe resonates with Dynamic being that kind of high conviction active manager. So it's interesting you see similar trends in the US, but it's kind of certainly what we're seeing here. But maybe pivoting for a second, back to our friend of the show, which is cash, right? So the Canadian ETF industry in 2023 was really all about cash. Suddenly you got paid for return on the savings and the ETF industry, as you kind of mentioned, evolves quickly, right? So we saw the rise of high interest savings ETFs where effectively the ETF takes in a deposit and then places that as a bank and pays that interest back to the unit holders of the ETF. And they proved very, very popular. It went from zero to a few billion to over 23 billion in very, very short order. But I think what Peter and I were chatting about the other day is that's a large amount of money on the sidelines. And we started to see a little bit of hints that that money is maybe coming back onto the field and playing. So I'm curious if you see that similar trend in US ETFs and a lot of money in cash or cash proxies. And are you starting to see that come back into markets? Or what do you see? Honestly, cash was pretty exciting last year because the yields were like 5% for the first time. So the idea that you could just like sit there in something that has no risk really, 
and get 5% is pretty awesome if you think about it, where versus having to take all this equity risk to get that. And what happened in the US is a ton of money went to money market mutual funds. So mutual funds actually had a bit of a comeback last year via the money market fund, because here in the US, you can't have an ETF that has a fixed dollar nav. They're working on it apparently. There's a couple of companies trying to crack that code, but in all the short-term treasury ETFs, the nav moves, which is good. They took in money themselves, but they took in like 120th of what money market mutual funds with fixed navs took in. So I think at the end of the day, those money market funds took in a trillion dollars last year about, which is double what ETFs took in. So monster change. And it made everything else have to work harder. In the beginning of the year, equities were like doing really well, but nobody bought them. It wasn't until the summer when some of the indexes were up over like 15% that people finally were like, okay, 5% with no risk is good, but 15% is even better. Let me buy some equities again. So I do think there's still some money stuck on the sidelines, but in the second half of the year, certainly a lot of people came back in. We called it the FOMO drought, but the drought ended around July. The, the returns got too good, the FOMO got too high, and it poured. So I wouldn't say all the money's on the sidelines, but there's still a built-up reservoir of money sitting in money market mutual funds that probably could be coerced out, but it's gonna take more than in the past because you're getting 5% now instead of like 20 basis points. So one thing I've noticed was that the year-end rally in 2023 was confirmed by ETF flows, especially when looking at the U.S. ETF industry. So in the month of December alone, there was $125 billion of net inflows that were deployed into U.S. listed ETFs, which according to well, Bloomberg, your shop, it's the highest ever. Now, there were strong flows in both equity and fixed income, and I want to stay on the fixed income theme for a second. You know, the last two months saw ultra short and short duration ETFs go out the door and money flowing more into the mid to long duration areas. Now, this seems to be confirming a major shift in sentiment as traders position for rates to come down. Do you subscribe to that thesis and do you expect that to continue over the course of 2024? Yes, I think everyone is expecting the Fed to lighten up because the numbers in the US have been pretty good. That said, I've seen this movie many times where your mind says the Fed should do something and it just doesn't. And so I don't know if we're completely out of the woods, but certainly the feelings are, and that's why you see a lot of uh, equity indexes hitting all-time highs this year already. What we think we're gonna find is people will look to other areas of the market, like mid caps and small caps. That said, even so far this year, again, these large caps seem to take over. But if you think about it, the companies that had suffer the most when it cost money to borrow, those are small caps value stocks, right? Uh, not necessarily all value, but let's say smaller companies. So when the Fed lowers rates, those should do pretty well. Will they take over? I don't know. But a lot of my associates in macro here at BI expect people to play catch up um, internationally and in small caps as rates come down. Whether the Fed will lower them sooner, I, I don't know. I'm, I, you know I, is there really any point to lower them given that you know, the market's doing fine. We just got out of inflation. It's still fresh. It's not like we like, you know, killed it two years ago. It just got good numbers. So, you know, I don't know, but the markets seem to be really optimistic. They bounce back from like geopolitical news pretty well. It just seems like a really good market. Like, and with the Fed, you know, taming inflation, I could see a lot of other places playing catch up. The issue with the super seven stocks that we're seeing is you know, by all historical measures, they just don't have a lot of room to run if you look at valuations. And so that's sort of, I think, what we're watching is 
how much these other areas are going to play catch up in the bond world. You know, I do think we'll see some duration rotation as rates go down. That should be good for like the long end of the curve. You know, TLT, a lot of people lost money in TLT last year, betting on rates to fall or the Fed to break something. And they didn't. And like so six billion just went poof uh, of betting on that. But now it's working a little more. So those are some of the things we could see, you know, repositioning over the course of this year. You know, it's interesting. We saw some similar flows or similar behavior here in Canada as well. Like when you take a look at just fixed income flows in general over 2023, there was such a barbell in terms of where it was going. I believe it was 44% that went into money market style fixed income instruments. And then you had about 17 or 18% that went on the long end. And I don't remember ever seeing that amount of money go into the long end. And most of that came in at the end of the year in anticipation or in the expectation of these rate cuts to occur. So it is interesting to watch and it's incredible how fast people change their sentiment, you know, when it comes to where they want to place their money. And it's unbelievable how ETS can actually capture that when you analyze the flows. Peter, you mentioned that year-end rally and some decent flows in the Canadian space. And I think, Eric, we looked at some numbers for the US, some pretty staggering numbers, right? 50 billion into SPY in December. And again, if we looked at the vast majority of the US equity ETFs or pretty positive inflows throughout the year. So I'm just curious if you're seeing those type of flows in the US and globally, do you think that equity sentiment picks up? Yeah, by the way, the SPY thing you noticed is interesting. This is a call I definitely got wrong. In our big ETF event in December, I did my typical PowerPoint outlook and half of it was stuff I did not see coming. One of those things was SPY beating everybody. I mean, SPY was supposed to lose market share over the years but it did enough flow getting earlier in the year. I think it was like 16 billion. So it was probably like eighth place. But in December, a lot of tax loss harvesting money uses SPY and it took in like 40 billion. And it basically rocket ship past IVV and VU to take the crown. And it was like sort of like an athlete. They still had some gas in the tank. But anyway, we did find that the S&P 500 ETFs broke the record. There's four of them in the US. They took in more flow share than they ever have. So even though we were focused on the Bitcoin race and all this other stuff, those did really well. And so those are continuing to lead the leaderboard this year too. It, you can't shake a lot of that money. You know, we divide our flows into the trading crowd and the buy and holders. The buy and holders tend to be, you know, Schwab, Vanguard, iShares Core, and the trading crowd is more like spider leverage stuff. And the trading crowd flows are kind of all over the place. They look like manic. And they're performance driven. Like if the performance takes a hit, the flows usually follow. But there's a, the buy and hold ones, they come in consistently. Like they're like hard to shake. And so far in the past couple of months, we've seen both parties on the same page in terms of buying into the market. Usually that means something bad's coming soon. Like it's never, <laughs> the party's never that hopping for that long. With both, like everyone's there. So usually if you have a couple months of that, somebody calls the cops, you know, and, you know, there's a sell off. You know, I've never seen the trading crowd be that consistent with the buy and holders. Like I said, it's usually a couple months you hope to get. But still, over time, U.S. equity markets is, you know, have gone up and a lot of people are looking at the past data as evidence that that's going to keep happening. So it could take a lot more to shake them this time because these large cap U.S. equities, they were supposed to have a problem when rates went up and they didn't, right? They kept doing well despite high rates. You know, I'm talking about like the Q stocks. So people are even more emboldened now, I think. So I'm not sure what will change. 
something kind of black swanish i think has to come out or some inflation print that's like off the charts again and we like realize we got to go back to raising rates outside of those things like black swan or a cpi like an inflation print gone crazy i'm not really sure what disrupts this um you know general nice uh, utopian feel in the flows with time where it is maybe we'll move on to a last question i think we touched on this through the pod and that's active etfs right so at dynamic we're a fundamental active firm got a 75 year track record of this space very very high active shares and obviously we stand for fundamental actively managed etfs which as a category are growing very very fast here in canada so i'm curious any wages we can make on the growth of this space i know you do occasionally bet steak dinners on your u.s predictions so maybe we could do maple syrup so maybe we have a wager about our active etfs going to grow faster than passive this year ah uh, good question well definitely in percentage basis uh, I would say active will grow faster. They're starting from a smaller base, although it's still pretty big, but definitely on percentage. Now, last year they grabbed 25% of the flows. Here's the thing though, if you count smart beta and thematic as active, I mean, they kind of are, they're just index rules-based active. If you throw those in there, you get more up to like 35, 40. If we were to be real liberal with the definition of active, I, it's a, they got a shot. Now, discretionary active, I don't know. I'd say 25% would be a home run year again if they could just pull that off. The issue here is that like, the reason the beta and the passive still dominate, even though they're outside, of, they're not in the headlines anymore, and like they seem like yesterday's news, is because they make up the core of the portfolio. So when a, an investor has new money coming in, the core has so much more of an allocation. And if they are going to sell a little core to go into an active strategy, it's going to be, again, it's not going to be all 60% of their core, it's usually gonna be a smaller dose. So that's why passive will probably rule for quite a while is just because it's a bigger part of the portfolio. But we think the portfolios are changing. We think that it's a 60-40 and people look to get some lower fees there, but they're gonna pull from bonds and stocks and form a like a hot sauce bucket. And in there, they're gonna cure their speculative itches invest in things just to keep them occupied while the other stuff has to like compound because, and I try to tell these crypto maniacs that compounding is what it's all about, but you have to be very patient. It could take 20 years, but once compounding starts, look out. I mean, it gets magical towards as the years go on. And so people like to mess around while that's happening because it's like watching paint. It's, like, it's not even, paint <laughs> drying is even actually more entertaining. It's like sitting there in your backyard, planting a seed for a tree and watching the tree grow. You'd literally be sitting there for 30 years. So I just think there's going to be more and more tweaking and, you know, alternatives, uh, solution-oriented products. If you can make an older boomer less nervous, that's something they'll carve out a little of their 60-40. But I just don't see anybody like selling the whole 60 and going to something else like an active fund. So the active funds are going to pick off little parts of the portfolio. But that's good. Um, I think it's, I want to see active succeed because the more people that are judging and looking at stocks on their valuations, the more the market will be like real and good. And we'll have a nice balance between active and passive, which I think is healthy. Because for a while there, it looked like passive was just going to be like 100% of everybody's portfolio. But I think active's pushing back and uh, it's good to see. I agree. I think it's good for the investors to have the choice. Maybe that's a hard bet for us to do because I think we both agree. But anyway, I think we should wrap this one up. First up, thanks, Eric. It's been a real pleasure to have you on here today. 
I think we'd love to have you back on again in due course. For our next episode, we're going to bring it back home, have a discussion with Mark Brisley, who's the head of Dynamic Funds, where we'll discuss a variety of topics like his views on ETFs, the importance of active management, and where we as Dynamic fit in the Canadian ETF industry. So thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. This audio has been prepared by 1832 Asset Management LP and is provided for information purposes only. Views expressed regarding a particular investment, economy, industry, or market sector should not be considered an indication of trading intent of any of the mutual funds managed by 1832 Asset Management LP. These views are not to be relied upon as investment advice, nor should they be considered a recommendation to buy or sell. These views are subject to change at any time based upon markets and other conditions, and we disclaim any responsibility to update such views. To the extent this audio contains information or data obtained from third-party sources, it is believed to be accurate and reliable as of the date of publication. But 1832 Asset Management LP does not guarantee its accuracy or reliability. Nothing in this document is or should be relied upon as a promise or representation as to the future. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees and expenses all may be associated with mutual fund investments and ETFs. Please read the prospectus before investing. The indicated rates of return are the historical annual compound total returns including changes in unit values. And reinvestment of all distributions does not take into account sales, redemption or option changes or income taxes payable by any security holder that would have reduced returns. Mutual funds and ETFs are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated.